So just as we did when Christmas approached, and that was the season of Advent, uh, we, we took a special look during this Lenten season, which is leading up to Res- Resurrection Sunday or Easter, at who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he accomplished, and what he accomplished with his birth, with his teaching while on earth, and with his death and resurrection. Now, there's a large portion of the population, including a number here in our own community, that will only get that small dose of the good news two weeks to last an entire year. Two short opportunities for God to meet us in a place like this where we can learn and grow and connect. Now, I can only speak for myself when I say that that isn't good enough for me. But I'm pleased to see you're all here because Scripture tells us that two Sundays a year isn't good enough for him either. Now, last week I posed a question from the disciples' point of view about what that Saturday morning following the crucifixion was like. You know, this great man was leading and teaching us. He was now gone. Not just gone, but betrayed, charged, judged, tried, and put to death. He was gone. He was dead. What do we do now? And would they come after us next? I reminded you that he had not yet risen, and although he claimed to be the Son of God who had come to redeem them, he had not yet become their Savior, at least not in the sense that they would come to know him to be. The Friday of his death, still fresh in their minds and hearts from the previous day's events, it was a horrible day. It would not be until he fulfilled the prophecy and God's promise that it would become the Good Friday that we know it to be now. But in moments of like those, it's hard to draw on the truth and the teachings that Jesus had already planted deep within our hearts. We all know that God is a loving Father, faithful and just. He wants a deep relationship with you, and he wants you to experience his blessings and experience his peace and love. We all know that he wants us to do good, and he wants good things for us. We all know that he is ultimately in control, no matter how much we think we're going to try to do it on our own. Have you heard this before? Are they true about you? They are me. I mean, I know my own experience that all of the things that I call bad, the bad things I've been through, they've been survivable. No matter how little I thought they were going to be, I made it through it. I saw the Lord work in incredible ways and use some of the worst moments of my life and claim them for his good purpose. Now, not always for my good purpose and certainly not in my timing, but still I can look back and see his work. And in all these situations, God was right beside me. Even when, or actually, especially when, my eyes were more on the problem than on him. Some of the best things in my life today, from my marriage to my current job to my role in this church, would not have happened or how or when they did if it weren't for some of these things that I thought were so bad. And the orchestration, the way God put them all together for his great purposes, even though he wasn't the one that created the mess. Sounds like I learned a lot, right? Oh, yes, your friends, you have a wise pastor. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Well, you'd think I'd learned it, but wouldn't you? But still, as recently as this week, when facing some relationship struggles and job stress, I found myself focusing more on the problems than on the one that will ultimately provide the solution. The only one that can help me overcome these fears and anxieties, the one who will go through it with me and be counted on to be with me on the other side of all this stuff. Does anyone else have a story like mine? I bet we all do. So now place yourself back in the sandals of the disciples. In the past week, they had heard incredible teachings, witnessed miracles, been greeted with the Hosanna, palm branches as they entered town, and then this, betrayal, arrest, beating and killing of their teacher, their leader, and again ask the question, what happens now? 
It was as recent as that very night that he was betrayed and arrested that he'd given them the answer, given them the instruction that they would need. John 14, 1, 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then he gave him this new instruction, John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I sang that hymn this morning. So why is this important? especially while he's away. Christian author A.W. Tozier made this statement. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to one another, standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be if they were just simply in unity and conscience, and turn their eyes away from God to strive only on closer fellowship. 100 religious persons knit into unity by careful organization does not constitute a church. Any more than 11 dead men make a football team. Heather, can you push the slide? On the screen is a picture of a tuning fork. It's a device that Mr. Toza refers to, and perhaps you can read the letters embossed on it. It says A440. And that indicates that the simple contraption when struck creates a perfect pitch of 440 hertz. And musicians know this is the A above middle C, which is that note. That, if you hit it, that would essentially be the, the tone you hear. So if each person in this church matched their instrument, whatever instrument you had, individually to this pitch, you match yours, and you match yours, and you match yours, then we all went somewhere else and gathered somewhere else, having not met before, and we'd, we'd be playing the same note, perfectly tuned to that one pitch, A440. And this is the concept of living our faith, sharing our stories, and being an example of Christ's love. Our instruments may not look or operate the same way. Our stories aren't the same. Who we are, where we came from, what we know, what we've experienced, what we think, all different. But it is tuned to a single perfect source. And that all of the lives and stories that leave this place and are shared elsewhere have some very important things in common. People will hear the familiar note of love and faith and the relentlessness of our loving Father. When I wrote that, I caught myself a little off guard because I don't use the word relentless very often. And it's not, it's not a word that I, I don't think I've ever used in a message, but it actually fits. It describes God's love for us. I mean, isn't it too relentless? We certainly can feel at times like our struggles and problems are relentless. One thing after another. One thing after another, even if that isn't exactly true, we sometimes feel that way. So God is here. He's relentless. And if our concerns are relentless, how much more is our Father to be with us through all of this? So now the 11 disciples have been told to go to Galilee where they would be joined again by Jesus. Let's look at this scripture. It's from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now this is the part we call the Great Commission. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago. 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything he's commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So now they had the answer to their question. What do we do now? Just like ours, their story and their faith didn't end with the death of Jesus Christ. It became empowered by it. It was fueled by the truth and it was fulfilled. It was driven by the Holy Spirit that came to dwell within us when Jesus left and perfected by the new covenant between God and his followers that was established on the cross. Those instructions, those answers have not changed, not in thousands of years. We are still to be operating under this new commandment until we're given a new one by Jesus himself when he returns. Jesus is the light of the world, and we are to be that light until the light returns. And that, of course, leads us to some questions that I believe we all may have in Scripture answers. When is Jesus coming back? Well, Jesus will come back soon. However, no one knows the exact time when Jesus is coming again. Mark 13, 32 says, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Interestingly, the disciples asked Jesus the same question just before he returned to heaven. At that time, Jesus told them it was not for them to know the times or seasons which were in the Father's authority. Therefore, Jesus may come back tomorrow, next month, next year, or 100 years from now. So what does this mean for us? It just means we simply need to be ready. And why is Jesus taking so long? If you're like me, I'm like, let's get this on. Jesus is patiently waiting to come back because he is giving humanity as much time as possible to choose and follow him. Unlike someone who might disappear and, and hope that you're, you mess up, you know, like the, the cats away, mice will play kind of thing, he doesn't want us to fail in his absence. He wants us to succeed in his absence. And he's hoping, he's, he's banking on us, his followers, bringing as many people to him so when he comes back, there is more people that he can take with him, not less. 2 Peter 3, 8-9 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. We talked about this being lazy or impatient, as some count it to be. But as long-suffering towards us, he's very patient, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Friends, if he came now, I don't know that a lot of people would be ready. I hope that I am, but I don't know. It's something we ought to work at. How should we live while we wait? Well, Christians should be on guard, watching and praying until the day of the Lord. The Bible says, Luke 21, 34 to 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. For will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Carousing, that's kind of a different word. Drunkenness, that's my, not my issue, but cares of this life, that's where he catches me. Anybody else care a little more about life than, than maybe they should? How will Jesus come back? We know Jesus' second coming will be a literal event, and it will be just like when he went to heaven the first time. This is from the books of Acts. He says, now, we have, now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, 
Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And this is the one that I think is really important, and that's why is Jesus coming back? The Bible says Jesus is coming back to reward the inhabitants of the earth and bring many back to heaven with him. Revelations 22.12. And then the Bible also says in Matthew 25.34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus, more than anything, wants to spend time with you. He invites you to return with him to enjoy an eternity with no more tears, pain, or suffering. And A.W. Tozier, the same author I spoke about earlier with the tuning fork example, made this statement. He said, have you ever stopped to think and realize that God will be as glad to have you in heaven as you will be there to be there? Have you ever stopped to think and realize that God will be as glad to have you in heaven as you will be to be there? That's awesome. But while we remain on earth, we have work to do. I believe that a large part of this work is a responsibility to be an active part of Jesus' legacy, to fulfill this last commandment, the Great Commission. And we do this by passing on what we have learned and have come to know from our own experience. And this week in particular, I want to look at how we're supposed to do that with our children and that generation. Psalm 78.4, We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Don't just share this with strangers and overlook those in your own household. Psalm 145.4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Before this was all written down and we had the organization and the means of, of passing down, it was passed from generation to generation by families and small churches that gathered. Deuteronomy 6.5-7, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Then he goes on, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Does that pretty much cover everything we do? And lastly, 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share your story, encourage them to share theirs. And we do this by applying what we have learned and come to know from our own experience. Philippians 4, 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Don't just hear them, but do them. And the God of peace will be with you. So friends, Jesus has entrusted us with an important task, and that is to continue his work. You wouldn't hesitate to save a life if it were in your power ability to do so, if you knew that you could save a life. But let me tell you, you have within you an important ability, and that's to save souls. The general premise of my call to ministry is the concept of being third. As scripture says, put God first, others above yourself. But I want to encourage you not to forget yourself. If you feel that there's something holding you back or creating a wedge between you and your understanding of what God is and how much he loves you, or perhaps you sense a disconnect between you and how God sees you. And that's really the, the trick, isn't it? God loves you and sees you with his eyes and his eternity perspective. And we don't always look at ourselves or other people the same way. But if there's a disconnect, be aware of that. If any of these describe you, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I want to speak to you.
I do, or, or another trusted friend. And, and there's, you know, the numbers on the back there, there's cards in the hallway, and don't keep it to yourself. Let others know. But I want to conclude this morning's message with Jesus' own words. He prayed to his Father for all believers, not just himself. And this is his prayer for us. It's John 17, 20 through 25. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and they, be, they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the light that you, you sent to this world through your son, Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill pro prophecy and law, not to abolish it. He came to teach and bring us freedom from our sin and from ourselves, not from doing what is right and good. Lord, we thank you for his sacrifice, the atonement for our sin that gave us this direct connection to you. We thank you for his lessons over the years and for his legacy. All those who have come and taught, spoken and shared for generations. And God, let that not die with this generation. May we continue to be the light until the light returns. Amen.